0: it is, (laughs) again, and it's cold. I believe that the music I heard is a killer. It's a killer of hope. It's a killer of spirit. And Devo plays for Muffy's party. We bring you an act. They'll just boggle
1: your mind. The Mystic Knights of the Oingo Boingo. Let's go! Hey, everybody, I'm Joseph. And I'm Rob. Welcome to a bonus episode, another bonus episode of Deep Cuts and Deep Dives, the history of punk, post-punk, and new wave, 1976 to 1986.
2: You guys are going to get spoiled listening to bonus episodes but i tell you this one is totally worth it we are covering the manchester music scene and uh it's a playlist filled with killer music so we're mm-hmm. getting ready to listen to some i think we should start it off with uh with a song by the buzzcocks this is um, i believe it's one of their first singles it's boredom
0: you see,
1: Now, Rob, I am definitely, for sure, not an expert on the Manchester scene. Of course, we're talking about Manchester, England. Oh, yeah, Um, yeah. (laughs) I, I, I know that much, but that's about as far as my expertise goes on the subject. How about you?
2: Um, you know, I know of, I've listened to some of the bands that come out of Manchester, but to be honest, I don't know... I, I know spit. The only thing I know yeah. about Manchester is here on the coast. And when I told people we're doing Manchester music scene, they're like, really? On California's north coast, there was a scene in Manchester? Well, no. <laughs> Manchester, England. So
1: <laughs> That's right. I forgot. Manchester is the tiniest little coastal village that hardly exists at all.
2: Yeah. It's a banjo. Uh, I think that's their music scene.
1: Yeah. So, since neither of us know spit about the Manchester scene, um, I think we need a little bit of help. So, um, you got any ideas?
2: Well, as a matter of fact, I do. I happen to have brought with me a guest.
1: Oh, Good thinking, thank yeah, God. Okay, so so introduce us.
2: Okay, so this is Richard Temple, and Richard Temple is, uh, well, amongst many things, he is a punk rocker himself, um, and uh, has some connections to people in Manchester, in Manchester, England. He's there now from, Man- I don't know if he's there from Manchester now, but he's, he's you know, he's, he's been connected to Manchester in, in the scene, but he's also... Um, he was uh, pretty much a showrunner for uh, Music World Radio, that little piratey uh, uh, internet radio station that I worked with for, for a while. So, um, Joseph, everybody, this is Richard Temple. Richard, this is Joseph Hi. and everybody.
3: <laughs> Hi. Thanks very much. I am actually coming to you from Manchester in England at the moment, yes. Oh, okay. Uh-huh.
1: So you are, you are a man who knows of which he speaks.
3: I would hope so, yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay, so to be clear, you and I are just meeting, but you and Rob go back quite a ways.
2: Yeah, uh, it's got to be at least 10 years, isn't it? At, l- at least. I think actually we met in 2008.
3: Oh, okay, yeah. So that's yeah. 13 years, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so that's about right. And- um, sorry, go on.
1: <laughs> and my understanding is that you uh, are not only an enthusiast for the the Manchester scene in the late seventies and early eighties, but are you? You're a bit of a scholar, right? You've you've written some papers on it.
3: I, I have, yeah. Um, that's that's a relatively new thing, but um, yeah, I've uh, I'm at university at the moment, and I've done. Um, uh, well, I've done a paper on the uh, early punk scene, and I'm currently working on a paper on the Fools' work with um, uh, a ballet <laughs> in the 80s. Um, so, yeah, yeah, it's, it is something I'm currently studying as
1: well. This is music that you have been listening to most of your adult life, right?
3: Yeah, for sure. Um, since, uh, since I came across the Fool when I was 17, I... Um, That's been pretty much nonstop, and uh, as as you'll find through this show, um, that period of the Manchester scene is very incestuous, so uh, it all kind of links together. Mm
1: Hmm. Mm Hmm. So what do you uh, what do you want to tell us about the Manchester scene? Just sort of as an overview before we get into specific bands um how is it how is it different from the rest of the punk music that was being um produced in england at the time
3: well i think you could almost see the manchester scene as the sort of british punk scene divided kind of into two which was like the london scene and the manchester scene representing the rest of the uk really um which was largely down to uh, Pete Shelley and Howard DeVoto. Uh, So really good choice for the Buzzcocks uh, opening there. Um, Because uh, what Pete and um, Howard went down to London when they saw a review of the pistols in NME um, and uh, really enjoyed what they saw. So they, they actually booked them uh, themselves to come up to Manchester, uh, which I think might well have been their first gig outside of greater, greater London as well. Um, played to about 30-odd people. But that's that's generally, at uh, the uh, Leicester Trade Hall in Manchester in 1976, that's generally considered to be uh, one of the most important gigs in history, um, not just in the British punk scene. Um, in Rolling Stone magazine had it in their top ten most important gigs in history, um, largely because of the effects it had on the audience. And I think the big difference was that the London scene was kind of it was kind of orchestrated by management, by record labels, people like Malcolm McLaren. um, uh, And it had a sort of a political and an artistic drive that was about kind of freedom of expression and that sort of thing. But it didn't really have that DIY feel that I think we now associate with punk rock. And that kind of happened because of Manchester. Um, I mean, uh, that the song you just played, Boredom, uh, was from the Buzzcocks debut EP, um, Spiral Scratch, with, which they released themselves on New Hormones Records, which was their own label. They put together purely to do that. And I think they were only the second punk band in the world to have done that, um, the first one being the Saints, I believe, in, in Australia. So certainly the first band in the UK, pretty much started the UK independent music scene. Um, and that became a thing for pretty much all punk rock outside of London. It, it was almost a separate scene. Really.
1: Well, uh, Boredom by the Buzzcocks, which we heard at the top, that was uh, one of two songs that I put onto this playlist. All of the rest of this, the music we're going to hear tonight um, were songs that, Richard, that you picked. Um, yeah. And they are not strictly in chronological order. They're, they're not, it's, no. it's kind of narrative first, but they're, But in general, um, there is there is a chronological arc to these songs. For, or for the to, most to these part, bands. Yeah. Great. <laughs>
3: for the most part. I haven't been very strict with it. I've tried to um, put it together in a way that's easy to talk about more than uh, following the dates, I think. Um, but I'm going to start with uh, with another track from Spiral Scratch, actually. I, I should point out I didn't know uh, the tracks that you had chosen. <laughs> um, uh, but Whereas Boredom is is probably the best-known track from Spiral Scratch, the first Buzzcocks EP. Uh, it wasn't actually the track one, side one. I mean, the actual A side was this. Um tended to get more play but this is breakdown and uh, this is the um the first track on side one of Spiral scratch
0: if I
2: Breakdown's good. And, uh, I'm, I'm glad that we, we are getting into this. Uh, I'm I'm glad we're getting into Spiral Scratch a little bit because it's actually an album that I haven't heard yet. Um,
1: Uh, to be, to be clear, it's an EP. Yeah, it is. Yeah, Yeah. It's
2: only four tracks. It's only four tracks. So we've just heard half of it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. (laughs) I like the half I've heard.
1: So, um, a couple of Uh, episodes ago, we listened to uh, the Buzzcocks' debut LP, um, Another Music in Another Kitchen, or something very close to that. Um, Boy, the sound is distinctly different between the two songs that we've heard Tonight and the stuff off of their de- debut LP, I think that's mostly because of um, personnel changes, right?
3: That's right. Howard DeVoto left, yeah. Uh, Howard DeVoto left after spiral Scratch. Um, so I think basically he got really bored of the punk thing really quickly um, and went on to form magazine, uh, mm-hmm. who are much, if anything, probably a sort of, Forerunner of what would become New Wave, I guess.
1: Yeah, um
3: yeah. So I mean, that was equally important. But yeah, he didn't actually last very long in the Buzzcocks at all, uh, despite the fact that he was with Pete Shelley, bringing the the pistols up and releasing Spiral Scratch and kicking off that whole scene. I mean, he's a very important guy. Um, but very quickly formed on uh, moved on to Four Magazine instead.
1: So Richard, I can't imagine that. Um, what I'm about to say next is the first time you've heard somebody say this. And my guess is that it, it, that you're going to flinch a little bit when, when, when you hear it, but I would say that 90% of what I know about the Manchester scene in the seventies and early eighties, I got from the movie 24 hour party people.
3: Oh yeah. Okay.
1: So, is, <laughs> is that is that way off base? Am I am I going to have to like unlearn everything that I know about uh, the Manchester scene?
3: Okay. Um, well, apart from it obviously being a bit um, sort of flippant, it, it's probably not inaccurate in terms of what it actually covers. But Tony Wilson was very much about building myths, and, and the factory thing was. Um, was important, undoubtedly, but Tony was a very good publicist and he's sort of had a legacy of convincing most of the world that the factory scene was the Manchester scene. And it, it was only part of it. It was very much only part of it. And there's a lot that isn't covered in 24-hour party people. Um, it's not a bad movie, um, but it, uh, it, it does have bigger missions, shall we say.
1: So it it sounds like it is um, paints an incomplete picture of the scene. Uh
3: huh. As with much of the literature that's that's come since, it massively overemphasizes the role of factory records and the hacienda. Um, They were both important in their own way,
2: but they were a specific part of that scene. I just want to say that the uh, you know the the song um, that we heard when we first came in well both of them actually there's we talked about the sound a little bit i just i love the fact that there's like this angsty grimy you know fast and short kind of uh, punk sound um and uh, as far as boredom man that uh that two-note two-note guitar solo really sold me on it. <laughs> <laughs> well i <Yeah. laughs> I'll
1: tell you what to this day there are times you know if i'm like stuck in traffic or i'm On a phone call with somebody who just won't stop talking, sometimes in my head I go boredom, (laughs) but (laughs) um, nice,
3: yeah. I think, um, I I think you can really hear the difference when Devoto leaves because Pete Shell is a wonderful songwriter, but he's essentially writing absolutely perfect pop songs from yeah. that point onwards. <laughs> yeah.
1: Okay, we ready to move on to The Fall?
3: Oh, please. Yeah, let's do it. It's going to be hard for me to not talk too much about The Fall. Um, <laughs> this is the band that got me really excited about the Manchester scene. Um, they were always outsiders in the scene, really. I think you'll, you'll probably notice that uh, they're not really mentioned in 24-hour pie people at all. Uh, Mark right. Smith, Mark, Mark Smith Singer does actually have a little cameo role in it. He stood in the queue in uh, for people waiting to get into the hacienda, so they couldn't ignore him entirely. They tended to be outsiders to the scene partly because Mark's behaviour was generally pretty bad, and quite he was quite a difficult person to work with or be around. Um, but uh, also because musically, what they were doing was very challenging. Indeed, really, even even in terms of that sort of free for do-it-yourself ethic that was happening at the time. They started off basically hanging out at uh, the keyboardist Unibane's flat, eating magic mushrooms and Mark reading his poetry and fiddling about on guitars. And then after the second Pistols gig at the uh, Lesser Free Trade Hall, which um, they attended, they thought, as did everyone else. They thought, well, we'll give this a go. We'll go on stage and try it. Um, and it kind of spiralled very, very quickly from there with some people getting extremely passionate and other people getting very angry and upset at what they were doing because they couldn't understand it at all. And I don't think that really changed over their entire 50-odd album career. Um and I think that's quite a wonderful thing. I mean, um, John Peel, the the UK DJ, once said of the Fall, um, well, yeah, two great statements actually. He he famously said that uh, that they're always the same and yet always different, um, which I think does sum up the history of the Fall quite well. He also said, uh, with the Fall, you never know what you're going to get, and it might not always be what you want which uh, as a full fan, I can also vouch for. Um, And someone who's seen them live quite a few times.
1: So is it fair to call you a super fan?
3: Yeah, I guess. I mean, Mark yeah. would hate that but yeah. <laughs> but he's dead now so I can get away with it. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty obsessive about the full, I, I can't. And how,
1: how, how many times do you think you've seen them live? I mean, five, 10, 20, 50? Oh,
3: probably, probably about 10-ish. 10-ish. 10 ish.
1: 10 ish. 10 to 12,
3: mm-hmm. something like that.
1: And um, when, when, when was the first time you saw them? 1986 i think
3: oh good yeah yeah and the last time was 2015.
1: well the fall is a band that i am fairly familiar with i own i don't know maybe a handful of albums um what about you rob
2: you know i I don't own any fall but um listening to them Putting this podcast together, I'm, I'm starting to really enjoy them.
1: You never have to wonder if you're listening to a fall song or not. That's
2: for sure. Right. <laughs> That's for
1: sure. Yeah. So so the the song that you picked, Richard, is a song called uh Bingo Master. And Bingo Master's
3: and Breakout, yeah.
1: Bingo Master Breakout. Um, this is a song that I was familiar with because it's uh popped up on that Cherry Red Records uh, uh, compilation that I talk about all the time. Been listening to this song since I was in high school. I never stopped to think about what the song was actually about, but Rob, you you actually had the foresight to stop and listen to the lyrics, didn't you? (laughs) Yeah, I
2: did, I did. I mean, when I heard it, I'm like, wait a minute, is this really about a suicidal bingo caller? Um, it,
3: it is indeed, yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah, <laughs>
3: that's exactly what it's about.
0: Two swans in front of his eyes, coloured balls in front of his eyes. It's number one for his Kelly's eye, treble six right over his eye. A big shot's voice in his ears, worlds of silence in his ears. All the numbers count for years, checks the cards through eyes of tears. Bingo masters, break out! Bingo masters, break out! A bingo masters, break out!
2: There's something cool about the fact that they are taking the time to write a song about this simple you know simple man's life you know what i mean he's just a bingo caller but for god's sake what a hard life
3: (laughs) (laughs) yeah totally it's kind of i think it epitomizes what i was saying really about it being about the sort of bleak northern late 70s situation but also with that northern sense of humor um the the kind of you know uh what is it um all he sees is the back of chairs and in the mirror a lack of hairs. Right. I mean, that's right, that's wow. just beautiful, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> um, it also ties, it's also important, I think, the reason I put it so early in the uh, set, even though it actually wasn't released until late 77, um, was that it was financed by the Buzzcocks um, because nobody had signed the Um, But the Buzzcocks felt that it had to be released and um, that they had to have a record out because... Um, What they were doing was so important, so they actually the bu- Buzzcocks put the money forward to record it, and then didn't put it out themselves. On New Orleans just gave them the master tapes uh, to put out. So, so there's a lot of cooperation there, which is nice, nice to see. Yeah.
1: Wow. So Richard, I'm curious did the did the Fall re- really have many hits in the in the UK? I mean, did they get top of the pop, so to speak?
3: They never did top of the bops, um, but they did have hits. Yeah, they had a couple of top 20 hits, um, mm-hmm. both of which were cover versions. That was uh, Victoria and Ghost in My House.
1: Oh, yeah. Um, so I, I just want to make a point about, about Victoria. So the, one of the albums that I had, um, you know, in the late 80s was The Friends Exper- Experiment, yeah. Um, which is, for the Fall, I think, a pretty pretty accessible album. Sure, I yeah. have a reputation for not liking cover songs, but I will tell you, Victoria, I like the Fall's version better than the original.
3: Oh, that play. Yeah, <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's got more punch, hasn't it, than the kids? But...
1: Yes, yes. <laughs> nah. he, he gives it so much personality and yet maintains enough of the catchy pop elements to just yeah. like be a perfect blend for me.
3: Yeah, I mean, that was definitely their most commercial period with with his wife, his first wife, Rick Smith, writing a lot of the songs um, in that period. And uh, I, th- I think undoubtedly the most successful. Interesting statistic, actually, uh, uh, of the fall is that in the UK, they've had more top 40 hits than any other band in history that haven't reached the top 20. So they've had more more hits between 20 and 40 than any other band in history.
1: (laughs) John Cooper Clark is another artist that I am... Just uh, vaguely familiar with, and Rob, you are too, whether yeah. you realize it or not, uh, because he he makes an appearance on um, Erg, a music war, right? Which is which is a beloved um, film of both you and I. Um, now, I was surprised the song Richard that you picked, um, "Innocence," is kind of much more, there's much more rock in this song than the stuff that I've heard, which yeah. was, is, cause he, he is obviously a poet first and a punk rocker second.
3: Yeah. I mean, he didn't write any of the music. He's, he's a poet. Um, mm-hmm. the, uh, the stuff that most people will know from my like stamp crackling pop and that sort of thing, um, was basically, I think it was Martin Hannett produced it. I think, um, and it was session musicians, um, just you know, putting something together for his poetry, and I think it works quite well. But I do prefer this sort of early punkier stuff, mm-hmm. um, for sure. And it's it certainly has more to do with uh, the um, scene we're talking about, um, because I mean the the band playing here, um, I think I think it's Nosebleeds, actually.
1: Aha, uh-huh, that's a that. that's a band that we're going to talk about a little bit yeah. later.
3: C- certainly, people involved in the uh, in the early scene, um, the Invisible Girls, I think, were the band that largely played on Snap, Crackle, and Pop and the later stuff. Um, but yeah, I've got a feeling it's the Nosebleeds on
0: on this. I never broke your windows. I never broke your rules. I never touched to your tele. Vendetta didn't touch your family jewels. Revenge is a strong emotion. Friction is the mother of pearl. It's a disapproving, disappointing, disappearing world. Now, what's this? Ah. I didn't burn your house down. I didn't break your heart. I never tried to steal your car. I wouldn't know where to start. Don't blame me if your life's a bore Not gonna look at your curves Don't point your finger anymore You're getting on my nerves The tepid shallows of a failing brain Innocence! of the holy innocence Innocence! of the holy innocence Innocence! of the holy innocence
2: That you said that the band was the nosebleeds because that was going to be one of my questions. I had I had heard mixed you know mixed uh, messages there. Some people said it was Curious Yellow, some said it was the nosebleeds, but uh, the Nosebleeds seems about it seems more appropriate. Um, and and may I say, hell yes, this song was. I, I like I like John Cooper Clark a lot. Um, I think you know what he's as far as I'm concerned he has. Uh, unseated ian Dury as being punk's poet laureate
3: <laughs> <laughs> i should hope so i mean, I, I love yeah. Dury, but, but but yeah i mean cooper clark's certainly more of a poet <laughs> fantastic he, he really is
1: well in every i i haven't heard a ton of john cooper clark's stuff uh, maybe at this point maybe four songs but all four of the songs are like squarely in the punk genre as opposed to Ian Dury who just kind of jumps all over the place from song to song.
2: (laughs) Yeah, right.
1: Okay, so now let's talk about the Mothman. Now this is the first band on this playlist that I had never heard of before. And I got to tell you of all of the new songs um, that you've introduced to me, this is by far my favorite. Yeah. I love this song.
3: Yeah, same here. I love the backing vocal on it. It's, <laughs> it's just that that uh, does it matter? Irene in the broad Salford accent in the background It's just so cool.
1: Oh, and it's it's got such a cool sound. Um, you know, I'm hearing a little bit of, uh, say, Joy Division. Um, there's a there's a darkness and sort of a. Uh, slightly off-kilter vibe to it, uh, but yet it is um, pretty accessible. I, I really like the the balance of the the sounds on this song.
3: Yeah, yeah, it's. Um, I, I think Joy Division are about the only band that, <laughs> from the Manchester scene that are in no way involved with the Mothmen, but. Um, but yeah it's well it's that manchester sound isn't it that
2: we talked about Mm -hmm. earlier Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's it's kind of it's melodic and discordant at the same time you know it's it's kind of a really cool mix
1: yeah and so what is the name of the song again
2: does it matter irene I love this. Um, so this is where I think you were talking about the Manchester scene being kind of incestuous. Um, yeah. Weren't there like ex-members of Alberto y los Trios Paranoias and uh, the Deruti column involved with? Uh, you're the absolutely
3: Hoffman? right, yes. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, it was sort of half of the Deruti column and uh, the singer of Alberto y los Trios Paranoias. Uh-huh. Um, neither of which we've got to yet, which is what I was saying. It is kind of out of order, but um, there's narrative reasons for me wanting to leave those two till later. So. Sure, sure.
1: <laughs> okay, well, speaking of the nosebleeds, let's move on to them.
3: Okay, uh, well, this is another example, really, of um, – uh, a band that sort of came from everything in the Manchester scene they were the roadies for um <laughs> for Slaughter and the Dogs when they supported the Pistols at that first less free trade all gig and uh, were were so moved again by the gig uh, i mean they weren't i don't know if they're even counted in the 30 people in the audience because they were roadies for the sport band um but, uh, yeah, they went away and went, we can do that, and they formed a band called Ed Banger and the Nosebleeds, um, which was probably one of the first bands to come out of that scene, not necessarily the first to get signed, but probably the first to be out there playing. Um, and uh, rather bizarrely, uh, a later incarnation of the band featured one Stephen Morrissey as well. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that's great which was uh, his first outing as, a, as an actual musician because he was mostly a writer before that. Um, so, yeah. I, I, I've got to admit I've uh, left the Smiths off of this playlist and I, I probably shouldn't have. But um, I don't know. I can't think of Morrissey these days without thinking fascists.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's unfortunate. I have, a que- I have a question about Morrissey. Now, was he involved in this... Uh, in this album that, that we're going to be listening
3: to in a little bit? Uh, oh, no, he's not. Uh, he didn't record anything with, with the No, Spits, no. Okay. Um they he was, he was with them for about six months. He did some gigs, but they didn't do any recordings. Unfortunately, I'd love to hear that. Because <laughs> so, he did take over as vocalist, uh, so the idea of Morrissey singing this.
1: Okay, so what is the name of the song we're going to listen to tonight?
3: I ain't been to no music school.
2: fast and, and super cool for me. This is kind of when I was young. This is what I thought punk was supposed to be. And uh, I mean, obviously it's what it is, but this was kind of the the structure for like, you know, what punk rock looked like to me when I was young.
1: So hard for me to imagine Morrissey singing a song like I this.
3: Know. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I so wish there was a recording. As far as I'm aware, there's not even any live recordings of it.
1: Okay, so we you you mentioned um, Slaughter and the Dogs uh, just a second ago. Um, so yeah. let's move on to them now. This is a band that we have talked about just recently, right, Rob? We talked about Slaughter and the Dogs' debut album. Yeah. I think um, in their January of '78 edition. And-
2: if I remember correctly, they were a big surprise to both of us.
1: Well, they were. I was, you know, I have always heard of them usually referenced in the context of oi music. Yeah. And, and we were surprised when we listened to the debut album because although there were one or two songs um, that that kind of sounded like skinhead type music, for the most part, it really didn't, and this song doesn't sound anything like Oi to me that that we're about to hear.
3: No, I think that I think all of that comes down to uh, their their biggest hit, basically, was where of all the where Have all the boot boys gone, um, mm-hmm. which was about Skinheads, and I think I think that kind of <laughs> linked them forever <laughs> with uh, with that kind of scene that. They were a glam rock band, really. I mean, they were they were around. <laughs> yeah, I think they're probably the only band on this playlist that were around before the lesser lesser free trade trade hall gig, uh, before the Pistols came up to um, Manchester. And um, they were they were doing quite well on the Manchester scene as a glam rock band, um, but they supported the Pistols and realised okay. that uh, that's where things were going. Um, so, kind of made a dramatic change in direction. But I think you can still hear the glam rock stomp in there with Slaughter quite a lot.
1: Uh, Yeah, particularly um, in this song called Cranked Up Really High. (laughs)
2: pleasantly surprised i really like slaughtering the dogs um and and man this is some real power behind the guitar here you know yeah it's great it's just great
1: yeah you can i mean you can hear now that richard mentions it you can totally hear the um the glam rock background but this is a this is a Totally legit, bonafide punk song, as far as I'm concerned, as far as the sound of it.
3: Yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, I mean, they were they were the only band that were already together by the time the Pistols played in Manchester, so they had a kind of head start on everybody, really, from that. I mean, even Buzzcocks didn't support uh, the Pistols at their first gig because they hadn't got it together. They hadn't rehearsed their songs up.
1: You know, okay, so. so let's move on to the Durati column. Now, this is um, a band that I am familiar with only because of the movie, The uh, 24-Hour Party People. Um, and uh, according to the, the movie, this this was a, a really a pet project of Tony's, right?
3: That's pretty much accurate, yeah. I think that's that's very much true. Um, I think it was Tony's idea of trying to make Factory more than just a punk label, and you know, um, touch on different sorts of music. Uh, he was probably more involved with the Joy Column than, than any other band uh, on Factory. Insofar as had more control, direct control over it. Um, but they're still pretty central to the scene. I mean, half of the Joy Column went on to become the Mothmen for a start, mm-hmm. um, but I think it's it, it deserves a place here just to show that not everything that was happening on that scene was obvious punk rock, because this certainly isn't.
1: And the name of the song we're going to hear tonight is Sketch for Summer.
2: I have to say is I wasn't expecting something so mellow um, but it's yeah. it's an amazing piece I mean it's great now I do have a question um, about uh, the Jurati Gir- column this this song is pretty indicative of their of their style of their music is that right?
3: I think so yeah I mean um, they're sort of considered a a, a punk rock band but <laughs> But, uh, I mean, they had piano, for God's sake. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they're, they're coming from a different direction altogether, really. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I think it's... I, I think what Joseph said before, um, the idea that this was kind of Tony Wilson's pet project, really. It, mm-hmm. They're much more of a sort of art rock, art school band. Um, and I think, really, they only get lumped in with punk and new wave by dint of being on Factory Records and being around at that time and turning into the Mothmen, really. <laughs> yeah. um, but obviously, as you can tell by the Mothmen, they they were hanging around and playing the same gigs as Alberto, illustrious paranoia, and various others. Um, so, you know, I, it, it would be remiss to ignore them, and I think it's good to show that there was something else going on there as
2: well. I also want to say that listening to this music, um, I have come to notice the guitar talents of Vinnie Riley. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, totally.
3: Uh, and Piano. He was the pianist as well, actually. Oh, yeah, he was <laughs> <Yes>. too. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, a talented guy, undoubtedly. Um, it's also probably worth mentioning that the name's misspelled, <laughs> which uh, which wasn't some... Clever thing. It was just they didn't know how to spell Jority, because um, the Jority <laughs> column was a, was an anarchist, um, an anarchist militia in the Spanish Civil War. Um, but it's uh, it should be double R, single T.
1: Aha, uh-huh. and they spell it D-U-R-U-T-T-I.
3: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> mm-hmm. which was literally just a mistake.
1: Aha. Uh-huh. Um. So, is the this song that we just heard it is uh there are no vocals is that is that pretty much their thing where they they don't have a traditional vocalist as far as i'm aware
3: um most certainly most of their early stuff is is instrumental um Mm -hmm. they did they did carry on for a long time and i'm not really aware of what they were doing I, i mean they may even still be around to be honest um i'm aware they were doing stuff in the 90s but I'm not really familiar with their later stuff, so I, I, I wouldn't like to say that they were entirely instrumental. But... Yeah. Oh, another interesting thing about the Girotti column, yeah. which actually is, again, down to Tony Wilson rather than the band, but their first album was released with a cover made of sandpaper, which I, th- <laughs> <laughs> I think is worth, worth noting, just because you really couldn't put it in your record collection <laughs> next to other, other covers
1: all right uh, so that means that we i, I can have tell the anticipation on. here <laughs> we have to move on yeah. to my idea of hell which is um john the postman tell us yeah. about john the postman i'm sure he's a lovely guy but the song we're going to listen to is rough right
3: <laughs> well, john the postman's a postman um, or at least he was um he was... Uh, I, I, the reason. Well, there are several reasons I wanted to include this. Uh, I think it... Firstly, it points to what was really happening in Manchester insofar as that do-it-yourself-anyone-can-have-a-go feel. Um, and John the Postman was literally a postman who went to all the punk gigs and at the end of each gig he'd be a bit pissed and he'd get on stage and he'd sing Louie Louie. And this became a bit of a tradition to the extent that it happened at almost every punk gig in Manchester for several years. Um, and pretty much ended every night at the Hacienda as well. Um, so you could, you could say he headlined more punk gigs in Manchester in the period than any other band, (laughs) uh, albeit not billed. Um, And I don't think he was ever intending to to be an actual musician. Um, He he was just getting involved. But uh, this recording was made because um, when The Falls started doing quite well, uh, their record label, it might have been Beggar's Banquet, one of the record labels gave Mark Smith control over a sub-label. And the first thing he did was to uh, sign John the Postman and record this. Uh, Now, it's it's 13 and a half minutes or so long, Um, (laughs) and I I certainly wouldn't recommend you play it all. Um, But I would ask the listeners, uh, if you're going on the Spotify playlist, you'll only ever want to hear it once, but it's worth listening to. It's also got an introduction by Marquis Smith, which uh, counts for a lot in my world.
1: Yeah, so as I mentioned, this is my idea of hell. Um, It is (laughs) a song I don't particularly care for. It is, I mean, the whole point, it sounds like to me, I mean, I I just, I get the impression the whole point is just to be as off-putting and unlistenable as possible. I mean, because they are... They are out of tune. They are out of tempo. They, they, it, it's so aggressive. and He didn't,
3: um, he didn't actually have a band. Uh-huh. Um, so, I mean, he used to just get up and sing it a cappella. Um, I've got a feeling, I'm not sure at all, and I don't know if this is even documented, but I've got a feeling the band on this might be the full.
1: to be mm-hmm. honest. <laughs>
3: um, and, yeah, I mean, it's very self-referential, isn't it? I think he starts off with... Uh, you're going to be listening to this for the next 15 minutes or so.
0: (laughs) You are listening to the new album. Rich, boring stars die in front of their videos when they hear the name Pure Isle. The postman is the music scene.
1: Well, there are very few certainties in life, but one thing I can say with a fair amount of certainty is I will never listen to that song, at least not in its entirety, <laughs> ever again. <laughs>
2: you know, yeah. you know, there's it, is there's, a one-off. <laughs> lo- yeah, there's, it feels like there's loads of anger behind the mic. Now I want to say this, Richard, you have turned me on to, uh, some amazingly crazy music over the years, and this is one of them. I appreciate it. I This is totally – I don't know. This is music that I think of when I think of you for some reason. Um, <laughs> this is like – this This song right here is like chaos magic. It's like performance art. It's – I don't know. This guy was just trying to mess with people. That's <laughs> – but I love it.
3: Joseph, surely it's been a long time since I've seen it, but surely John the Postman is featured in Twenty Four Hour Party People.
1: Um it could be I'm I I, I don't remember it. You but, probably just thought um, well,
3: who's this idiot getting up and seeing
1: <laughs> You know, I I my guess is that, you know, maybe in the background when they're talking or something, he's on stage, but I, I had no idea that it was john the postman uh it's been a while since i've seen it as well but yeah this was john the postman was not something that i was ever familiar with so
3: okay well just think that this next band who everyone will know yeah their first few gigs especially as warsaw was probably followed by john the postman
2: Yeah.
1: Okay, and this next band that you're referring to is Joy Division.
3: Yeah, of course. I couldn't avoid Joy Division, and I wouldn't have wanted to either. Um, they started off as Warsaw, as I just mentioned, uh, changed their name to Joy Division. And um, again, I mean, their importance for the scene, I think, is, is uh, not really over overstated. I mean, you know, they are amazing and they were amazing and um curtis's suicide sort of made them mythical as well um and i think that's given a lot of power to the arm of tony wilson building his myth about factory as well really because uh because obviously they were the the centerpiece of factory up until curtis's death so
1: Yeah, that's right. Well, earlier I mentioned that 90% of what I know about the Manchester scene was from the movie 24-Hour Party People. Now, I would say that five of that remaining percent of what I know is from the movie Control, which is about Joy Division. Yeah, it's Um, a wonderful film. Yeah, I think... um, now is your sense that the veracity of that film is is much higher than 24-hour party people it feels very authentic to me
3: it's yeah well it's a more serious take isn't it really and um, yeah I, I, I get the feeling that's that's quite authentic I think possibly for publishing reasons it doesn't necessarily get across a real feel of Else was happening in the city, and the bands that Joy Division were playing with and working with, and especially um, uh, that Hannett was working with. But um, but yeah, it's a wonderful, wonderful film, and uh, I think from the point of view of the actual internal politics and the actual internal sort of um, feel of what was happening with the band themselves, it's pr- probably pretty accurate.
1: So the song you picked for tonight is she's lost control. This is one of a certainly, I mean, obviously not their most famous song, but was it, was it a hit in the UK? Did it actually get it, airplay? It was,
3: yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. 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 It's, it is a well-known song here. Um, but yeah, I think, I mean, love will tear us apart is the obvious choice, I suppose. Um, but she's lost control, I think. Love will tear us apart, kind of it's almost the sort of closing chapter of Joy Division for me, you know, because um it's kind of you can almost hear the coming suicide in the song in that. Uh, whereas she's lost control, I think, is um it's more what the band was mostly about.
1: Confusion and the rise of it all.
0: She's lost control.
1: I think I've made it clear in the past that I'm much more of a, a new order guy than a, than a joy division, but, uh, Rob, you, you're big on joy division, aren't you?
2: Oh yeah. I love joy division. Actually. They're one of my favorite bands. Um, it's, it's kind of nice to hear them actually in this set. I, you know, I, I love every chance I, I, I can get to listen to joy. Division.
1: They they made your top 10 all time favorite punk bands list, yeah,
2: right? Absolutely. absolutely. Well, they, you know, when I was young, um, they were part of the the vibe that I was just, I don't know, you know, I liked sitting in the dark. And I mean, this is, of course, the band is tragic and Ian Curtis is tragic and there's all kinds of, you know, tragic messages in the music. But it's, uh, to me, it was just beautiful. It's just great stuff. I love it.
1: Yeah, yeah.
3: I think um, along with the Fall, I think the Fall and Joy Division more than any other bands, really get across what was happening in Manchester at the time. Um, I suppose I have to give some credence to Morrissey later on as well, but, um, but you know, the music... The, the thing with the Smiths was, lyrically, Morrissey was expressing what was happening in Manchester at the time, but the music's really beautiful, <laughs> um, whereas the Fall and Joy Division are doing it musically too.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, right.
3: it's got right. that sense of... Uh, Dereliction combined with ugly new builds.
1: Going yeah, on.
3: yeah.
2: Well, again, again, you have, um, you know, uh, kind of like the uh, suicidal uh, bingo caller. You've got a song that's about somebody, yeah. and it's about the the roughness of their own life. You know, yeah. Um, this apparently, uh, Ian Curtis worked with disabled people in his day job, and and this song was dedicated to a woman that he knew who had. Who had epilepsy, much like himself?
3: Yeah, uh, and I think written before he knew he had epilepsy as well. Yeah, just, yeah. She's kind so, of tragic in itself. Yeah.
1: Well, we are certainly going to talk a lot about Joy Division um, down the road in um, future episodes for sure. So let's go ahead and move on to the next band that I'm always a little intimidated about saying properly so i'm going to throw it to you richard
3: is alberto y Lost trios paranoias not loss but lost for some reason <laughs> yeah. um,
1: and just um, just to be clear there's there's no nobody in this band that that is hispanic
3: no there's no connection whatsoever as far as i'm aware mm-hmm. um, Even musically, I don't know what they were thinking. Um, But uh, Alberto were essentially a comedy band. They were a comedy parody band, and they were around before punk, um, mostly doing sort of reggae parodies um, prior to punk. But when the punk thing kicked off in Manchester, they started... Well, they did a show. uh, They did a stage show. um, And uh, they came up with this concept of snuff rock, Based on uh, there was there was a bit of a thing about the film snuff in the UK and people panicking about snuff films, uh, and they came up with this concept of a band that killed themselves live on stage, and uh, they did. It was a parody of punk, but they did it so well, and they were also sort of involved in the scene. You know, you got members. Of the, I say the singer ended up in the Mothmen and stuff. Um, so while it was meant as a joke, it kind of underlines that Northern humour I was talking about earlier. And they were very much part of the scene. I mean, they were playing with punk bands, they are playing punk festivals. Um, and I think it's true of the London scene as well, but it's something people miss about British punk rock is how much of it was joking around, you know, was having a laugh. As, as well as, I mean, there was a whole lot of anger and sort of bleakness there as well. But there was there's well, that sort of survivalist humour going on,
1: yeah. Yeah. Well, I I don't think that that. Anger and humor are mutually exclusive. I think they kind Lots of go over. hand in hand quite often. I I yeah. gotta I gotta tell you, I, you know, I've been listening to this song for the last week on this playlist. As I've been listening to this playlist, it didn't even occur to me that this was a novelty band first and a punk <laughs> no. band second. It sounds, it fits right in there with you know a lot of the punk that was going.
3: Yeah, through. yeah, totally.
1: So what is, what is the song we're going to hear?
3: Uh, This is kill and uh, it's, what is part of the snuff rock. um, I think it, well, it was an EP, snuff rock EP, but it had like six tracks on it.
1: And did they get any serious airplay in the UK or was it more kind of an underground cult thing?
3: They got a surprising amount of TV actually, uh-huh. um, because really? it was quite <laughs> because it was quite visual as well. I mean, you can find it on YouTube now. Um, because they, uh, for instance, at the end of there's live performance on YouTube of this song, and at the end of it, the singer stabs himself through the heart. And bleeds out and it's really quite well done with the effects. I don't know how quite how they did it. And then he's dragged off by one of the other members of the band leaving a trial of oh, blood behind him on the stage. <laughs> <laughs>
2: This is fast and it's a blast, man. You, you know, I I'm sure and, and you could probably you could probably verify this or, or you know, corroborate, but I'm sure that there were so many people that had a big problem with the, the with this song, for instance, uh, or yeah. the band itself. I mean I I look at it as like well all the crap that Marilyn Manson had to go through and so many others had to go through with, you know, Ozzy Osbourne with people uh you yeah. know, wanting to ban his music and, you know, that kind of thing. They must have hated <laughs> I think.
3: I think. Weirdly, I think Alberto got away with it a bit more because it was framed as a joke. Do you know what I mean? So, I think they got away with it a bit more than Aussie, for instance.
1: Yeah. Uh, well, so that song didn't didn't strike me particularly as a novelty song, but the next song we're going to listen to um, is pretty clearly a novelty and. Um, <laughs> Gets old fast. What's the story behind Jilted John?
3: Oh, do you think so? I still love it. <laughs> I shit. do too. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I, I, You know
1: what? It sounds so dated to me.
3: <laughs> that, <laughs> it's awesome. Yeah. It's, it's Graham Fellows. So again, yes, he is a comedian. Um, and again, somebody who was on the scene and involved. Um, but... Taking that. I mean I mean, you know, there were there were bands from outside Manchester as well, it's Blochinessa bounds and whatever um, that were were doing that sort of comedy side of punk rock. Um Graham Fellows, I think the Ju jo- the jo- John thing um is absolutely fascinating to me because it was a big hit here. I mean, it was on top of the pop several times. Wow. Um, <laughs> That's the, the, first, the first time they were on top of the pops, the guitarist had tape, gaffer-taped his left hand up so that only one finger was sticking out just to demonstrate that all he was doing was taking one <laughs> finger on and off of his fretboard, you know? It's like, it, it was... On the one hand, it was comedy, but it was really pushing the boundaries of... You, you know, this is what we can get away with as a punk rock record and get it in the charts, you know and I think, again, that could only have come out of the north I don't think the London punk scene could have supported somebody like George so upset
0: that I cried all the way to the chip shop when I came out there was Gordon standing at the stop and guess it was with him yeah, Julie and they were both laughing at me is cool and trendy but I know he's a moron Gordon is a moron Gordon is a moron Gordon is a moron
2: You know I'm gonna say that I love this song um I, I really enjoyed it I gotta say though, John, man, he had it rough You know um, yeah. <laughs> But at the same time, was Gordon Really all that bad <laughs> You know, <laughs> you know um,
3: uh, Gordon, uh, Gordon the Moron Actually yeah, right. released more records uh, Than Jody John He was signed by, I believe, signed by Factory Actually and oh, well. uh, released several <laughs> records um, after the, none of which were hits.
1: Okay. Well, the um, the last band uh, that you picked to to feature this evening is um, probably here in the states the most famous after Joy Division and The Smiths that we've talked about, and that's the Happy Mondays. Now. I am familiar with them from the early 90s with the album Pills, Thrills and Belly Aches they had a yeah. pretty big hit called Kinky Afro so I was surprised yeah. to hear that they were actually releasing music in the 80s
3: yeah I've um, I've cheated slightly with this track actually because uh, I think the remit was '86, wasn't it and I, this track was actually released in 88 oh, that's and I think that it it gets our point across better. Um, Their first single was 86, um, so I really should have played Freaky Dancing, which is their first single. Um, But the point I wanted to make was that uh, this whole scene essentially changed pace and changed away from into what became the Madchester scene.
1: Oh, yes. I've been wanting to ask you about this because I have heard Manchester and I've heard Madchester and I've never really known if there was a distinction between the two or is it, what what is the deal between Manchester and Madchester?
3: Well, Madchester is essentially a music genre. Uh-huh. Uh, that was kind of pre-rave. Um, it, it was kind of the the Manchester punk scene morphing into the rave scene. And it sort of started with the Stone Roses, who I really should have featured in this, but I don't know very much about the Stone Roses, so I, I left them out for that reason. But realistically, they're, they're kind of the the original spark of the Manchester thing. Um and then the Happy Mondays, and and it it largely, I mean, I think it's worth, I think the Happy Mondays get some credit, insofar as Bez and Sean Ryder from the Happy Mondays uh, were the first people to bring uh, MDMA um, ecstasy back to the UK uh, from Amsterdam, uh, and they would they were smuggling and dealing MDMA at the Hacienda, so the only place people would, could get ecstasy was to go to the Hacienda Club. Um, so, I mean, that became essentially the club that started off playing Joy Division in The full, um became kind of the first rave club in the UK. Um, and it was pretty much entirely down to Bez and Sean from the Happy Mondays. Uh, and Freaky Dancing is kind of about that, uh, the first single. But I think this Rope for Luck, for me, sums it up more. This has the feel of what was happening in the Hacienda at that time when you've got all these people that have been listening to The fall, listening to Joy Division, listening to The Nosebleeds, whatever, um, and has suddenly turned on to ecstasy and it changed the whole scene quite dramatically and quite quickly. Um, and suddenly bands like The Stone Roses were were very important. Um, John Robb from, from The Membranes will hate me for... Uh, not playing the Stone Roses Because he's a massive fan But I think that there's a few I mean obviously it was a short playlist There's a few bands that should have been in here Like Primal Scream, Stone Roses um, James, The Chameleons
1: Well I'll tell you what We will. We we obviously don't have time to feature them here In this episode But w- what we'll do is we'll um, at the end of the playlist, if people want to click on the link and go to Spotify, we'll throw in um, songs from all of the bands that you mentioned for for anyone oh, who's awesome, who's, awesome. who's interested. Beautiful. So, what is the uh, what's the song from the Happy Mondays we're going to listen to tonight?
3: Well, this is "Wrote for Luck," um, and this is I think I think the reason I picked an an '88 song rather than the '86 single is because the 86 single was kind of the spark, but this gets across what happened better. Mm-hmm. This you can, you can hear the Manchester sound in it. You can hear it's come from that Joy Division and Factory... I mean, they were on Factory Records. It's come from that Factory Records sound. Um... But you can also hear where it's going with dance music and, and the rave scene and and you know where even where Mondays would go with King Kiafra and stuff like that. I
2: I, I listened to this song uh, by watching it on YouTube and and the video that accompanies the tune is you can, I mean you know, you, you get to see the change that takes place as well as listen to the change that takes place this is definitely a rave that's going yeah, that, on and he is just like rolling around the video around. is amazing, yeah, it? <laughs> it is amazing. And, and he's like rolling around the crowd like he's on ecstasy already and it's, uh, but it's God, the energy behind the music and the video is is super great. It's just so cool.
3: Firstly, he almost certainly was on ecstasy. Yeah, right. And uh, it's worth mentioning as well, that that was actually just filmed in the Hacienda. Mm. Um, that is the Hacienda Club in the video. It's, uh, that's just what was happening.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Beautiful video. It was great.
1: So, Richard, I'm curious. What are your feelings about Black Grape? Do you know? I've never
3: quite got Black Grape. Um, I kind of want to like them, but I've never really quite got it. I've got all their stuff, and I do put it on my playlist in the car and try and pick up on it, but it it doesn't have the same feel to me Uh as the Mondays.
1: So so to clarify, Black Grape is uh, the band that the lead singer from the Happy Mondays formed after he left the Happy Mondays Um,
3: yeah I I mean the the Mondays are about together now so they're actually both running concurrently uh now but uh um, but yeah
1: I've never been crazy about either band but I I do lean towards the black uh, the black grape music just because it's a little less like um, rave, Manchester, yeah. Reliance, and and kind of a, kind of a little bit more moving on from that sound. Um, so
3: yeah, that's fair. Mm-hmm. that's fair. I, I I quite like the. I was going to say I quite like the Manchester thing, but on the whole, I don't actually. But the Mondays and James, <laughs> I really like. I don't know. Black Grape don't have that same sort of otherworldly feel that the Mondays do somehow.
1: Mm-hmm,
2: to
3: mm-hmm. me.
1: All right. So um, that brings us to our wrap up of um, the Manchester the Manchester scene. Um, are there just any sort of general notes? uh as as far as um to wrap things up about this scene and this music that we've heard tonight
3: oh the only other thing I'd I'd say I think is that um as i mentioned right at the top of the show i think uh, the the manchester scene almost represented punk rock outside of london um so it, while all the bands i've played are manchester based there were a lot of bands coming from out of town that were predominantly playing in Manchester as well, uh, like the Membranes uh, from Blackpool, um, the uh, the Prefects from, from Birmingham, uh, who became the Nightingales, um, Cabaret Voltaire, you know, I think it was Sheffield. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, all, all of those tend to be thought of as the Manchester scene just because they played there a lot, you know, and they were they were kind of part of that scene. Um, they just weren't based in Manchester. But it, it you you could almost see the Manchester scene as everything that happened outside of London. I mean it, even the Rosillos who who were from Scotland, you know, when you see footage of them or whatever, it's usually in Manchester.
1: Yeah. Now now Rob, didn't you mention uh, I think Rob mentioned to me at one point that you you actually have some personal connections with uh, a couple of these artists that we've listened to, right? Uh,
3: I, yeah, well, I promoted John Cooper Clark through the nineties. I, I know Johnny Clark, uh-huh. uh, a bit. I haven't seen him for a long time. Um, but yeah, I, I promoted him through the nineties when, uh, when his career was in the toilet, really,
1: um,
3: but uh, I, I kept him going. So, so that's something. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't get a name check in his autobiography that he's just released. Yeah.
1: But yeah. Uh,
3: but, uh, but still, yeah, yeah. I was involved with Johnny Clark a bit, and um, I suppose my only other direct connection, I guess, is. Uh, I knew someone who I knew Darren who was uh drummer in the fall for a bit. He was a fan of our band uh-huh. um, so he used uh-huh. to come to come to my gigs <laughs> um, but uh but yeah John cooper clark really is 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 my direct connection, I suppose
1: okay, so uh for our listeners who have have uh kind of dug the music we've listened to and you're and you wanna take some next steps into exploring the Manchester scene, um, we have talked a lot about two movies. Um the first one is Twenty Four Hour Party People, which is the more entertaining of the two, but um it seems like it's entertainment first and and um Factual Document Second. Um, right. And then the other the other movie is Control, which really focuses on Joy Division, um, which is an excellent movie and seems quite authentic. Um, it's one of those movies where when I saw it, I went, wow, well, that's a great movie. I'm never going to watch it again because it's pretty <laughs> yeah, it's intense. It's bleak, isn't it? Yeah,
3: it's heavy. It's really, Um, it's it's moving and bleak. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: There are um, two compilations that several of these songs that we've listened to, I've pulled from on Spotify. So if you want to hear some more of this type of music, you might want to start with a compilation called Rainy City Punks. Manchester punk and post-punk independent singles. Now that is just a a regular length release with about 13 songs on it. And if you like that, and you really want to dive in deep, you can check out Manchester North of England, a story of independent music, Greater Manchester, 1977 to 1983. That has a whopping 74 songs on it. Wow. so that's uh if you get through that you can consider yourself a bit of an expert on the Manchester scene in the 70s and 80s and into the 90s.
3: And of course uh, 50 odd albums by The Fall. Yeah.
2: <laughs>
1: right. We are definitely going to talk a lot about The Fall because every album they put out through 1986 we are going to examine um, oh, and for sure, uh, we will at some point be doing a deep dive on the fall and you are going to be our first phone call when we're looking for guests for that one, for sure. Excellent. Um, let's Rob, let's talk a little bit about what's coming next on the podcast. So we are, uh, next month we're jumping back into our regularly scheduled programming, which means... June, July of uh, 1978.
2: Vacation's over.
1: Yeah, that's right. (laughs) I have been uh, skipping ahead, so to speak, and I've listened to a lot of, well, I've listened to all of the albums. Um, There is some cool, surprising stuff and some pretty spotty stuff, so it's going to be a bit of a mixed bag. so we are going to take a look at four sophomore releases from artists whose debuts we examined last season and three new bands with very different sounds. Plus, we explore what the alternatives could possibly be if we are not men. Yeah.
2: So that's, <laughs> that's, that's right. something
1: to look forward to. Now, a little bit of a spoiler. Um, one of these albums we're gonna listen to is the uh, next episode is the debut album from magazine which we've uh, talked about so I thought it might be nice to go out on a little taste of um, their debut album I'm really excited about it Uh, before we do that let's say our goodbyes Richard well um is there any, anything that you want to direct our listeners to as far as articles that you've written? Or I know you've been in a couple of bands.
3: Article-wise, probably not yet because there's nothing relevant published yet. Okay. <laughs> um, but hopefully we'll be soon. Um, Band-wise, uh, Dog Food. Uh, there's two bands called Dog Food, one, one of whom are a stoner band from the US. That's Not Us. Uh, And we were first. They stole our name. Um, But if you go on YouTube and put uh, Dog Food Band England or UK, you might find us. (laughs)
1: So (laughs) we'll do a Facebook uh, post with some links to various projects you've worked on for, for anyone that's interested. Oh, nice one. Um, so any, anyone interested in checking out more of Richard's work, uh, you can go uh, to our Facebook page. And by the time we publish it, uh, there should be yeah. something up there for you to check out. I,
2: I, I want to say uh, before we go out that Dog Food is still one of my very favorite bands. Um, and uh, we still listen to it at our house. Uh, you know, it's I, don't, I, I just can't I, I can't shake it, you know. You introduced me to uh, to your music, and uh, I, I love every bit of it, man.
3: Oh, that's great to hear. Thank you. Well,
1: <laughs> thanks, Rob. Uh, Richard, you were you are our very first guest, and um, I am Honest, so pleased that you were um, that you were so generous with your time and knowledge. And yeah. I've learned a lot, and I, I imagine that Rob has too. And we look forward to talking to you sometime in the future.
3: Yeah, man. Deep, deep dive on the full more for that. <laughs> That's right.
1: <laughs> okay, everybody. We will um, talk to you the first Sunday of next month. See ya.
0: Bye. Bye. You always.